somebody blindly signs off on something and then an issue happens, if you can't demonstrate that the informed part of informed consent occurred, it, it's not helpful. It's not very valid. So all of these things are, of course, uh, litigated through the courts. And But it's very clear that just signing a piece of paper is not informed consent. You need to ensure that patients are informed and actually understand before consenting. Fertility nursing burnout, REI productivity, fertility patient satisfaction, the standard of care, revenue. These are just a couple of things that I talk about with my guest, Jeff Isner. He's the co-founder of Engaged MD. And you've heard of them because they're a sponsor of this show. And you've heard of them because half of all fertility clinics in North America are using them. And you've heard of them because so many people have come on the show and at conferences and other places you've been talking about how amazing they are. It is a sponsored episode. And so you'll hear me sing their praises because I legitimately don't have, I don't have anything to counter it. It's been the most lopsidedly positive reported company that I know of in the fertility field. And, uh, but I still try to make it more about things that engage them via seeing. So that's what Jeff talks about on the show. He talks about areas of nursing burnout and what clinics are doing to solve that. He talks about areas where physician productivity is limiting or, or the hindrances to it are limiting access to care, what they did to improve access to care. We talk about what the bridge is between business, like a business advantage versus now is integral for the patient experience and for the standard of care that patients receive. And we talk about the risk that practices face in informed consents and the hindrances that that can lead to people moving on to, to treatment and practices being liable. So all of these things we cover in this episode today. And if you want Engaged MD to take a look at your workflows, if the examples that Jeff talks about in this episode are interesting to you, Engaged MD will look at your workflow. They'll do a free assessment. If you go to engagedmd.com slash Griffin, they'll do that assessment for you for free. They'll point some of these things out to you. It's a free eye opener for you from a third party that works with more than 200 fertility clinics. And if for no other reason, it's nice to say that, that you heard about them on the show, that you heard about them from me, because that helps us create more free content for you. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Jeff. I liked hearing about what EngageMD is going to do next. And uh, the case studies that Jeff refers to and the problems that clinics are facing, I think will be of interest to you too. So please enjoy this episode with Jeff Isner, co-founder of Engagement. Mr. Isner, Jeff, welcome back to Inside Reproductive Health. Oh, thanks, Griff. Glad to be here. You're the first person to ever do a sponsored episode of EngageMD. And I get a lot of messages from companies. Can we sponsor a show? Can we be a sponsor? And I'm going to work it out. You know, We're going to work out inside reproductive health eventually to where I always say eventually because I'm still working on this you know, fertility bridge client services stuff. But inside reproductive health is getting big enough to the point where we can start to 
to work out things that aren't an endorsement. But because right now it's been the podcast, it's been my voice. It's almost like there's no way there, there hasn't been a way for me to do a sponsorship that isn't an endorsement. And I have to be really careful about what that is. Like when people say you're a shill for this company, or you're a shill for that. It's like, the only sponsor that I have is Engaged MD, and I tell all of you that, and it's because I've known Jeff and Taylor since 2015, and more than half of our clients have used it, and all of the things that people tell me about Engaged MD, and so I've only even had the sponsorship conversation, like the opportunity to be a sponsor with like three companies, and ultimately, so far, you were only the only one that it was a good fit for at this like endorsement type level, and. It is because I, I, you probably hear me on the show, Jeff, put out a challenge every week where I'm like, okay, if, if you're the person that's going to tell me the first bad thing about Engaged MD, send me the email. I'm not saying the email will never come. I suspect that one day it has to, right? Like one day it has to come where somebody's like, F Engaged MD. No one ever has. No one ever has up to this point. It's all been like glowing reviews. And so just like, for the three people that are living under a rock, what is the engaged MD from the owner's perspective? And what's the value that you sought to bring in the marketplace to begin with? Sure, sure. First of all, thanks again for having me. We appreciate what you do in terms of the podcast and all of this amazing information that you share with this community. And we're not perfect. Um, engaged MD is not perfect, but we work really hard to create amazing experiences for our users and ultimately for patients. So to answer your question, though, the way I like to explain Engaged MD is, is um, through the story of how we actually got started. And about in 2015, when we met, um, our medical director really felt this problem day in and day out in his practice. And he was explaining the same things over and over and over and over again to patients and their partners and making sure people understood what the process looks like for fertility treatment, the risks, the alternatives, and medications, all of these really important things that patient, patients need to understand in order to make good, informed decisions. And he realized, well, I'm repeating myself over and over again, and I'm probably only covering maybe 60 or 70% of what I'd ideally like to. And I've got all of these kind of external factors that are pressuring what I can cover, whether it's the time I have for the appointments or what else is going on in my life or in my day. And he realized, well, I'm doing it this way and every provider at my clinic is doing it a little bit differently. And ultimately the patients are on the other side of my desk, trying to just drink from the fire hose and absorb all of this very complex medical information for the first time. And so what happens? Patients go home, they try and remember everything that they had just been told, whether it be from their doctor or their nurse or medical assistants or any other staff. It's and too much. It's just too much. It's a ton of information that we're jamming into these appointments. And so they go online, they look for answers, they end up calling their nurses and their medical teams to try and get those answers. The nurses are picking up the brunt of this. They're doing IVF classes, med teach classes, really trying to fill in the gaps again so that patients can make those good informed decisions. And they make those decisions historically on pen and paper. So documents are being printed. They're being given to patients. They've got to take them home. They're getting notarized. They're getting filled out incorrectly and they're getting lost before hopefully they get scanned back in. So we looked at this problem and said, wow, it's so much time and energy that everybody is putting into this. And it's a suboptimal patient experience, clinic experience. There's all sorts of risk that's introduced. 
So there's just got to be a better way to go about what we viewed originally as just informed consent, making sure that people are educated and consent to the right things in the way that aligns with their um, their behaviors, aligns with what they want to do with their treatment and their goals. So we built Engaged MD, and that was kind of the impetus for the, the platform and the company. And we have two primary product lines. The first one is eLearn, so a library of educational modules that we've developed that cover everything from COVID-19 protocols and Fertility 101, all the way through all the different types of treatment that patients may be pursuing, through the very end of the patient journey, what to do with extra gametes or embryos that you may have that are cryopreserved. That, and these modules can be pushed to patients so that they can watch this content on their own time. They can rewatch it as many times as they want answer questions demonstrating that they actually understood everything and then come back in for their next appointment and have a much more effective, much more efficient discussion with their medical team that's focused on the nuances of their care. Well, let's talk a little bit about that informed consent part for a little bit, because anytime you talk about informed consent, you have to say, I'm not a lawyer, talk to a lawyer, get legal advice. Don't get it from me because I'm not giving it to you because I'm not qualified to give it to you. But when I ask attorneys in our field. And it, it, you know, I'm, I'm chairing this session that you're actually speaking at, at ASRM. And I ask people about like, oh, so just like, what's the, the standard for informed consent? They'll just respond, oh, engage MD. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And so what do they mean by that? Yeah, well, ultimately, it's a, a non-delegable duty for the provider to provide informed consent. And it's making sure that patients understand everything that they need to know, all of the, the process, the risks, the alternatives, in order to, and also they comprehend everything, not just are being told everything, but they actually understand everything that they need to know in order to make a good decision, a shared decision with their medical team about their care. So I didn't really think of it in this way until I was on one of Dr. Katz's webinars and you were, you may have also been speaking on it. And, uh, and, and this may have been in the beginning of the pandemic when people like the people that hadn't figured it out already kind of like had to figure out the the e-signature and, and people were asking about informed consent and, uh, it, it, and Dr. Katz said, what's, what's greater evidence of informed consent? A stack of papers that, that like there's a signature a, at the end and a couple initials throughout that, uh, you know, like 10 point font of language that people have never heard before or a series of videos where they have to sign off at where they have to complete each module, where they have to take a quiz demonstrating that they that they did, it. and then a, a a trackable digital signature at the end. So, can like you talk about that level of informed consent? Yeah, and it's the way that you're talking about it. It's kind of how we break up our product lines. I've always related the informed part to our e-learn product line and the consent part to our e-sign product line. But consenting is is much more than just signatures on paper. If somebody blindly signs off on something and then an issue happens, if you can't demonstrate that the informed part of informed consent occurred, it, it's not helpful. It's not very valid. So all of these things are, of course, uh, litigated through the courts. And But it's very clear that just signing a piece of paper is not informed consent. You need to ensure that patients are informed and actually understand before consenting. 
And it's pretty easy to, I mean, it, it, it happens a lot. You can ask your turn. How often is somebody able to argue that they weren't informed and in, uh, in, I just went through, you know, just got married not too long ago. And then, you know, talking about just family law and, and figuring things out like that. And, uh, and they don't even let people do pre, you know, they don't even honor prenups that are within like, Oh, let's say a week or two, because, uh, or, or I should say many courts, many courts will not honor uh, that prenups that are within like a week or two, because it's like, well, it can't really be informed consent. Many courts will throw out prenups that don't have where the other person isn't represented by counsel. Many courts will throw out them where uh, the, they were represented by counsel, but there isn't the documentation that, that, they, that they were properly informed. Uh, I think that's how, isn't that how Eduardo Saverin successfully sued Facebook to, to get back his stake? And, uh, and that I, I think it is because he signed everything, uh, but he sued that, that he wasn't properly informed. And I think he won. And that's why his name is back on the Facebook masthead as, as co-founder. So was that like, you know, it's, it's all of these components. And, and Dr. Lettery from uh, Seattle Reproductive wrote a great paper a few years back about the primary components of um, various litigation that has occurred over a certain period. And even if informed consent isn't the primary reason for the case, it is very often a supporting issue around the case. So it, was that... Was that intentional from the beginning or is, was that just kind of like a happy byproduct? Like originally you're trying to inform patients to help with client workflow or to help with clinic workflow, to help with the patient experience so that they're better informed. And, oh yeah, we'll, we'll include the e-signing at the end. Was, was it a byproduct of, of this, of, of it being used for informed consent in this way or uh, like, like which came first? Was it the, 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 the patient experience focus, clinic workflow experience, or was it the informed consent? Yeah. So it was very purposeful about informed consent at the beginning, but that's not our primary value proposition anymore in terms of how we talk about the product. So when we originally developed EngageMD, we started with the e-learn modules and, and really started with IVF and IUI. And it was all about ensuring Every single time people were consistently and comprehensively informed and understood what they were just being um, informed about. And we realized we had that informed part and we needed the, what I'm calling the consent part, the digital signing part. So we built out our e-sign engine that helps digitize all of the, the consenting signature workflows. And it was only once we really started getting traction in the market. And one of our um, yeah, our primary MOs is to listen really closely to our customers to determine what we develop next. And what we were hearing is informed consent is super important. This is great. It's very helpful. But the real benefits that we try and, and the real problems that we try and create benefits around are saving time, improving patient experience, reducing risk where we can and going paperless. So it was only after we launched that we realized, wow, this is much bigger than we originally thought. It's not just legal informed consent. This is creating these other benefits that are much bigger than what we had originally intended. I want to talk about that because I saw the benefit immediately. It's like, as soon as I figured out what you guys did and 
and it probably took me a little bit like, to be to be fair i probably don't know what half of the people in asrm do but it didn't take me too long like as soon as like i met you guys and 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 we talked and that was probably 2015 and i thought oh these guys are nice i kind of un, you know I, I have an idea of what they were doing but it wasn't pro probably until i started people i started hearing people say this is what we're using this is how we're using it and i'm like oh light bulb i need to pay attention to what this is and very early on i saw the i, I saw the I saw the uh, I saw the value, and uh, but I could also see what the potential objection would be, and I could almost immediately also know how to address that objection. That objection was, well, uh, you know, people expect personal care from us. They want to be able to talk to a a, a nurse, and they want to be able to talk to a, a provider, and uh, you know, they're paying all this money for care. They shouldn't be at home and and watch a video, and and. I just immediately thought like, yeah, they're paying all this money for care and it is this that stressful to go through this process. They shouldn't, they shouldn't get the least amount of value out of their time with you that they can. They should be getting the most amount of value with you that they possibly can. And if they can only remember 30% of what you told them, if they're asking you questions that that are are completely generalized questions as opposed to specific to their case then that is not the highest amount of value so did you did you all have to 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 work on that positioning at first how do you how do you help clinics position it the right way yeah and it was my biggest concern when we launched too quite honestly was this just going to be homework for patients when they're paying tens of thousands of dollars for care and um, a few things to note. One is what you called out. We are trying to make that in-person time more valuable so that patients can come in with that baseline knowledge and actually have a good interaction that's two ways, that's really focused to their personalized care, not the basics of how the menstrual cycle works and what stimulation is. We want to focus on your specific issue when we've got that really valuable in time, time together in person. So that, that's kind of like the the core reason why this improves those interactions is you're giving that baseline info at home. But we study this obsessively. We are extremely data oriented at our company and we measure every single step along the way, both from the patient experience and the clinical experience. We're um, just wrapping up a case study right now with Seattle Reproductive Medicine. And uh, this aligns with uh, the, the rest of our data points where we survey patients and clinics, but 98% of patients said that the videos were a helpful addition to their consultations with their medical team. And 89% agreed or strongly agreed that engaged MD actually made them more satisfied with their care. So we've got to meet patients where they are. I know personally, and it, patients would agree based on our survey results, that people want to do things on their own time at their convenience, and they want to use that time together with their care team as effectively as possible. That's 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 huge, buddy. Congrats. If, if anybody had a nine or a close to a 10 on a net promoter score, that would be through the roof, you know, almost almost unheard of. And uh, and SRM is not a little practice. I, I don't know how many docs they're up to now, but at least 12. Uh, they, might, they might even have more than that at this point. They got at least two labs and uh, they're a really great group that serves a diverse patient population from all over the Northwest. So like, to have something like, like to have people say that, 
I'm jealous of you. And, and if I can go on a little tangent of why I'm jealous as a business owner of Engaged MD, I was watching, uh, I was on LinkedIn and one of my favorite marketers was talking about, he was making fun of a lot of B2B marketing companies. And he was saying, we make blank easy. And, uh, he's, and then he's like, this is, this is the value prop that most B2B marketers put forth. He's like, how about you just take blank off my plate entirely. And there's so much that you guys are able to take off the plate that is a client services firm. It's like, I, I, I'm always trying to develop, to develop further develop what we can take off people's plate, but you guys just, you take off so much of people's plate that they can actually provide that level of care that the patient needs. Yeah. We're, we're, again, we're obsessive about the data but we're really, really obsessive about listening to our market and listening to our customers. And every single new interaction that we have with a fertility clinic, we start with a needs analysis. We really want to listen. What is your current workflow? What is the current patient journey? Where are you spending time that is manual redundant that you don't need to be spending so that you can operate at the top of your license? So we're just absolutely obsessive about finding those pain points and helping to support clinics to get better about them and to improve on, upon them, whether it's using EngageMD or not, but we're trying to develop all of our products around those issues that we hear directly from our market and our customer base. I want to talk about those pain points because they're not getting less painful. There's a lot of things that people could or, or, or might do to improve their business that would be beneficial for their business, but it's not necessarily it's not painful enough. It's the adage of the old man on the porch with the dog and the motorist stops by and he's visiting the old man. And while he's having the conversation with the old man, the dog keeps whining. And finally, he asks the old man, well, what is he whining about? And the old man says, he's sitting on a tech. He said, why doesn't he just get up? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he get up? And he says, well, it hurts him bad enough to whine. It doesn't hurt him bad enough to get up. <laughs> and uh, and and in your space, I think that there's a, it, it, with the pain that your company is addressing. There's a a lot where it's the point where the dog has to get up. And maybe even you know prior to two years ago, maybe they could have sat on the tack longer, but nurses are so burnt out. Like embryologists are burnt out. People can't get enough staff. People can't get even get enough people to answer the phone. And so you need to make what you have with people, uh, the time that you have with people is as productive as possible. So we talk about a couple of these problems. Like I want to talk about the nurse time savings. I know like there's examples of people everywhere, but like just talk to me about you know, what nurses, you know, like the time savings and, and yeah, otherwise having to deal with appointments that has been a pain for them and, and how you've helped to solve that. Yeah. Um, to your point, the pandemic definitely accelerated a lot of these problems and the, the nursing shortage that we're facing right now is certainly exacerbating the issues that we're trying to help support. So um, I think it's, it's, pretty well agreed upon that nurses take on a huge brunt of patient education and patient support throughout the entire patient journey. And that 
forms in IVF consults or IUI consults or whatever treatment consult, it starts before that, honestly, even through diagnostic testing and talking through all of the different things that you may want to consider um, prior to starting treatment and, and determining your treatment plan. And then throughout treatment as well, as you're getting ready, you've got your med teach. So I think that's a great example of a, an area where we heard that things we actually partnered with SMP Pharmacy on this. Um, together, we heard that this issue of really non-personalized injection teach classes where everyone was coming in sometimes one-on-one -on -one, spending an hour with a nurse learning how to inject themselves through it, all of these different types of medications and you've got to go home and you've got you know videos that you can find on youtube that you can try and search down that aren't particular to how your clinic does it or particular to your plan so we built MedReady together which is a, a very personalized approach to injection training so together with SMP, we built all of this content. It's all done through motion graphics so that we can keep it up to date and we can keep on modifying it and customizing it so that it makes sense for the clinic's protocols and their approach and how they use their medications. And when you assign these modules, you're assigning a, a module that is specific to the medications that the patient will be using in this really engaging 3D motion graphics manner so that patients can go back and watch it over and over again. And not only understand how to use the medications, but understand why they're using each medication as it relates to their protocol. So I'll use an example from our friends at RGI Ohio. Um, they were having 45 to an hour minute or 45 to 60 minute long consultations with patients just for injection training. And those were with every single patient and couple. And they adopted our MedReady program. And, you know, I think as most people are a little bit hesitant to reduce the time with patients, but they realized that this was actually able to completely replace their injection training classes for the majority of their patients. So the patients who didn't need that extra time, again, very specific questions about their injections, the majority of things are answered through the module. So they're saving four to five hours per day of nursing time by just using one of our module components. So you can apply that, that kind of math and apply that logic to all of these different stages where you have the redundant conversation happening again and again, so that you're focusing, I'll keep on saying this, nursing time, physician time, advanced provider time, they're operating at the top of their license, really focused on the personalized issues, not the general things that can be repeated through a video series. I'm just picturing the nursing managers that listen to this show, hear that like four to five hours per day of nursing time. And if they're one of the few clinics that aren't working with engagement, busting into the practice owner's door right now with their iPhone in their hand, playing this piece of the podcast, because what for, and a lot of people can think that are listening, but what would you do if you had four to five hours of nursing time back? Like, you know what that four to five hours is being wasted on right now that you're not getting to where you're, where you're, nurses are burnt out where they're where they're saving calls for the next day because they just can't get to anymore or else they're never going to leave the office and then the patient's pissed off about that because they aren't getting the answer back that day that they they were hoping to because the nurse is answering some other question or doing something else it's like uh i think that's i think that's incredibly useful no matter what employment market we're in but especially with people being so short on nurses, it's just like a necessity now. Yeah. And, you know, you look at that. And so we're, 
we're starting with this kind of base level of ensuring comprehensive, consistent education occurs. And then it builds on that and you're actually improving the patient experience and the clinical, the nursing provider experience. But when you start taking that problem a level higher from a business perspective, you have more time to see more patients. So ultimately, you're you're generating more revenue. You're helping more patients access better care, and you're able to generate more revenue as a business. So it's really a win-win-win, and that those layers of value proposition continue to build on each other. Let's talk about maybe the consent side too. And at some point, I want to talk about of just like of, of like how this impacts of wait lists, or rather, what you can do during long wait periods because. I would say the average is eight weeks now and some are uh, 12, 16. And so, uh, but let's talk about consent for uh, a little bit. Like what have the the issues been for cl- clinics pre-engaged MD? What were they struggling with? Yeah. So it goes back to just the issues with paper and uh, you know, it's 2022 and Things have gone completely digital, but in the fertility world, this paper is really important. You've got to make sure that the right person is signing the right thing at the right time. You're authenticating all of that and following the right workflows. And with paper, you're, you're not really fully sure what's going on outside of the office. So you give people this information. They have to read it. It's an incredibly complex medical legal format. They've got to make their decisions on it. Oftentimes they need to go to a notary to get that authentication done. Then they have to bring it back in or ship it back in or scan it back in. And if anything goes wrong along the way, you got to redo that whole process, right? So if somebody fills out the wrong thing or signs in the wrong place, notaries aren't trained to um, fertility treatment and what people should be doing with their decisions. You've got to go back and do that whole process again. And then if it comes back and you actually do collect it correctly, it's got to get back into the medical record. So it can get lost. It can get caught up on a doctor's desk or somebody's desk. Um, ultimately, it needs to get scanned in to have that proof that you've got the, the official informed consent. So there's a lot of costs and a lot of time and a lot of, again, suboptimal experiences incorporated in that workflow. So with our eSign engine, we're really just trying to make sure that all of that can be handled through your inbox. So you can digitize all of your documents. We'll work through with our customers for anything, not just consent, anything from patient intake through financial documents to test requisition forms. We have the ability to create those workflows digitally. Ensure you can track all of the education and all the documentation in one place. So things are never getting lost. They're following these digital workflows that make it really hard to choose the wrong thing or to make errors on the consent. You're never going to miss a signature. Nobody's ever going to get skipped in the signature process. And you can always go back to EngagedMD to see that digital copy. You're never going to be searching for the the paper version that might've gotten shuffled somewhere. Which that in and of itself of how long that can take people and like the anxiety when you can't find it because it isn't in that one file that it's supposed to be in. I, I, yeah, yeah. It's just amazing how people use paper for, for anything at this point. Nothing worse than somebody getting ready to start their cycle or even worse, somebody getting ready for retrieval and say, oh no, where's that consent? So that's the, um, that anxiety that we're trying to completely eliminate. Uh, well, it was 
It's funny you should say that because when I did my talk at PCRS, it was originally supposed to be about like like biz dev. And then they gave me the talk to the nurses, the nursing track. They gave me the the last uh talk of the of the week. It was like the 11 a.m. Saturday talk. And they gave it to it was to the nurses. I was like, great. Like the people who couldn't give two craps about business development. And this is what I do. So I'm, how am I going to make my talk relevant to them? And it was, it had to do with branding. It had to do with creative and I had to uh, tailor it to how to get patients to want to engage with your practices processes. And so I was just asking nurses ahead of time, uh, like, like what's the biggest thing that when you tell, like you could tell patients a hundred times, uh, but, but you, you still feel like you're struggling with this problem with them. And, uh, consents was at the top of the list, like having their consents ready, having their paperwork done, ready to go before a started protocol. Yeah. It's, um, nobody likes paperwork, right? I think we can say unanimously, nobody likes chasing down paperwork, but it's critical. It's really important. And so, what we're trying to do is build that into the workflow, build it in as part of, you know, these engaging videos that you're watching, tie it into a, a bigger part of the journey, make it digital, make it engaging, exciting, make it so that people want to do it at least more than they would want to do it if it was just trying to go find a notary and sign some things on paper. You guys are right at this junction point of something that I've wrestled with since I've been in the field, which is I could just tell like, that eventually something that might be a business plus at first eventually becomes part of the standard of care or elevating the standard of care. And, you know, 10 years ago, probably having a digital module would have been a, a business plus. It would have been, yeah, a nice little advantage to have. But now it's like, man, you know, you're, you're dealing with the biggest stress in your life as a patient and uh, or top five, and you're usually spending a lot of money uh, and you're, you're doing this all at a time when you, like, you have to keep track of all these different things at, at all these different times. And you guys are kind of like, uh, almost a little bit, I'm not saying the same way, but like how, when you sign up for Airbnb, like it's a lot to list a property on Airbnb, like to go through everything, but they break it up. So, we, so you know, you're not filling out a hundred question form. It's like, what kind of house do you have? And then whoop, next, and I'm not saying that everything that you do is like that, is like that, but you break things up in a way for the patient that I do feel that it is the st- like that's the standard of care. It's necessary for improving the standard of care. Now, it's not just a business plus anymore. Yeah, I think there's a few things that you just called out there. Um, I'll start with the standard of care. You know, we're we're operating with about sixty percent of the U.S. fertility market. We've got um, a very large market share in, in Canada, UK, and in and, and Europe as well. And so. I would say that it's becoming the standard of care, especially in terms of informed consent. We're really proud of how widely adopted this has become, and it's really become the way to educate and to consent. So I'm really proud of those statistics. But the the other thing that you called out is the way that we're breaking things up. And we're taking 
experts in adult learning and e-learning. And we're taking all of the best practices that are constantly evolving. I mean, we're in the world of Instagram and TikTok and um, video education and video, you know, absorption is, is definitely the standard. And we're taking all of those best practices and applying them within our platform so that people are getting the right information at the right time that is unique to their journey. So we're really, really focused on making sure that that overall journey, we're pushing the right information in nice chunk size bits so that people get the right amount at the right time to properly absorb it, properly make the right next decision. For the listener, just imagine, imagine going through something as legally intense and as outside of your expertise that requires deep expertise that you can think of. Like you're going through a, you know, some, some very detailed estate planning, uh, or even more, maybe you're going through, um, like the, you're building your dream house, uh, and you've never built a house before. You just, you've been a good REI and and now you can afford it. Now you're building your dream house. Do you want to get it all in one huge sum like here's the dot. Like here, here's the here's the s- stack of papers, and y- you've got this limited amount of time to talk to me. Or do you want to have an extremely thorough module that you can go through piece by piece on your time? Go back and make sure that you understand, and then use your time with the expert to be able to ask any any question. I I, I think if people think about it, if if they had that same opportunity in in other realms, it becomes even more heir apparent of of how useful it is. Yeah, it's hard, and you know we're all biased because we live in this industry, and so some of it is it becomes second nature to us. But it's so hard learning about fertility for the first time. I remember when I first started working in the, the industry, all of the acronyms, all of the you know different ideologies of infertility, all the different treatments and medications. There's just so much to comprehend. So um, I think we take that for granted sometimes that this is second nature to us and people who are exploring treatment for the first time, it's all completely brand new down to the vocabulary. We're, we're talking about improving workflow, which means improving productivity, which means potentially improving revenue. And that is flush with the topic that we cover on the show a lot. Uh, it is a business show and we talk about private equity. We talk about venture capital. And one of the, one of the claims that private equity has and one of the gripes against them has to do with increasing productivity. And so I say on every episode that I talk about private equity, I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't, I don't know. I don't feel qualified to analyze the standard of care that private equity either improves or, or worsens. I, I just bring people on and I try to challenge them. But the, the argument for private equity is that they increase efficiencies. And uh, the argument against uh, private equity is that ultimately, whatever those efficiencies are just means like squeezing more cases out of the provider. And so it's like, okay, we could squeeze more cases out of the provider by making them work more, by packing in patients, uh, by by taking away time that they actually need to see the patients, or we could do things that legitimately improve the experience for the patient 
and allow the provider to not do things that are redundant or lost because the patient is a deer in headlines. So can you talk about, uh, I mean, have you done any kind of analysis for return on investment? Yeah, definitely. And just to kind of address the the goals of private equity, I mean, I think process optimization is clearly one of those in order to generate a more efficient business. And if you can do that while creating better care, that's amazing. And if you can do that, creating better care and also improve access to care by creating more time and more efficiencies in that whole process, you're helping more people ultimately have a child. So I think that's a really positive thing. I know there's many different angles to private equity and with all things, there's pros and cons, but um, to, to take it this on a much smaller scale of how we look at ROI, again, going back to that initial needs analysis and workflow analysis that we do with every clinic, every clinic has unique problems. They all kind of revolve around the value propositions that we talk about. But one example that I'll give um, of a, a needs analysis that we recently completed and, and completed the ROI analysis for this company, they were a two-provider clinic and they had 45-minute new patient consults and 45-minute IVF consults. And we did all the math with them in terms of how much time you'd save, what you could be doing with that time, how many more patients you'd be able to see with that time, your margins on that. And we came out with an ROI of over $100,000 per year, just on a two-provider clinic, saving those 15 minutes on each of those consults, what you're able to, to accomplish by just spending your time more effectively, more efficiently, ultimately helping more patients access care. That to me seems huge for the places that just can't get another REI. And in a two-provider clinic, there's a lot of those in your smaller cities. And uh, and it's the smaller cities that really struggle to get new docs. It seems to me like 80% of the docs go to 20 cities in the US. And it seems to me, I still don't have any data, but uh, it just seems that every anecdote that I can think of supports it, that the only time that you see someone from an REI go to a Buffalo, New York, where I'm from, or a, uh, a Youngstown, Ohio, or a Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, is when they or their spouse are from within a few hours of there. It's just so hard to get docs. And so uh, the alternative is like, what, we're just not going to, we're just not going to provide care to these people that are here. And so, uh, I often think of like engaged MD like being useful for ROI for 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 bigger groups because you know they're the ones that kind of have their their eye on the PL a bit more. But uh, it, there's not really separating the the pro and revenue from the from the increase in access to care, is there? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, and people who really embrace that are where we see the most success. And even with, you know, the smaller local clinics, you can still make this your own, right? And I think the fear sometimes as well, I don't want to be like everybody else. 
the people that really embrace this and start customizing the video modules and produce their own content to have as part of the patient journey and make it branded and talk about their practice and talk about their locations. That's that just warms my heart to see because they're really taking this technology and making it their clinics and making it using all of those kind of efficiencies of what's being built as a baseline, but really customizing it so that it meets their needs. It really does give that boutique feel to each of their patients that come through the door. How have you seen Engage MD influence patient behavior? Have you? Yeah, that's a great, really great question. We've been doing a lot of research on Engaged MD, so we've been very fortunate to have third parties say, oh, this is interesting. Let me get a study going. And we've had a couple of papers published, and we've got a, a great one that uh, Dr. Uh, Meg Sachs from University of Cincinnati, she's an RIA fellow there, is uh, presenting at ASRM. So this is an example of how we've seen patient behaviors and outcomes change. And we're just starting to explore this because I think anecdotally, it makes sense and it happens, but we want to prove it with data. So let me give the example that she's been studying. Um, we've been really focused on carrier screening. So just to give some background on, on what carrier screening is and why it's so important from my perspective, we can prevent genetic conditions from being passed down if patients do pursue carrier screening. And it's one of a bajillion different things that has to be explained to patients as part of that initial consult diagnostic testing phase. So like everything else, it can be kind of shortcut and um, patients may not have the right information in order to make an informed decision about actually pursuing or, or declining carrier screening. And not only is that kind of a, a workflow issue, but it's also a risk issue. We've seen massive lawsuits in this space over patients who feel that they weren't properly informed and ultimately had a child, unfortunately, that was affected by a genetic condition. Because and they declined carrier screening because they they didn't under, they, they didn't feel they were informed. Well, correct. They, they didn't understand the impacts of not pursuing carrier screening. Informed declination is, is what we would call it. And didn't realize that they could go through PGTM and, and prevent this genetic condition from being passed down. So that information is important from, you know, population health perspective. It's important from a risk mitigation perspective. And also it's just one of the, like I said, bajillion things that has to be covered with every patient. So we developed a module on carrier screening and a workflow to allow patients to learn about what carrier screening is at home, just like the rest of our e-learning modules. And then they can flow directly into making their decision about either moving forward or not moving forward. And what we saw when comparing the patient cohort that went through the engaged MD workflow versus the cohort that went through the traditional provider consult is nearly double the amount of patients who went through engaged and D decided to pursue carrier screening, which is just going to let that sit for a second. That's massive. That's a huge impact that we can create. Do you know the sample of, size off, off the top of your head? I don't know off the top of my head, but we replicated it at a completely different clinic with a completely different group and a completely different researchers kind of creating the study and it was nearly identical results. And, and that was at a very large group that uh, we had a ton of volume going through, but uh, Dr. Sachs will be presenting at ASRM quick plug for her. She's got the, uh, the poster. Present. She's going to be on this podcast. I'm actually recording, Amazing. recording that episode with her and two other REI fellows later today. So I don't know if their episode will Fantastic. come out before yours or yours will come out before theirs. I, I don't know how we have it scheduled right now, but yeah, a little, little shout out to her. 
Yeah, and, and I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're really motivated to figure out what drives these patient behaviors and how can we create really positive outcomes and health outcomes, not just patient behaviors, like positive health outcomes from using this tool and providing great education and great patient journey management every single step along the way. So, I, yeah, maybe people should let that. A couple, there's a couple of things that need to sink in in people's minds from from this conversation so far. One is four to five extra nursing hours per day. What would you do if you had four to five extra hours for your nurses per day? Another one is what would the quality of care be like for your patients if double the normal number were going through carrier screening? How do you make sure that EngageMD is actually rolled out successfully? Because people have asked me to build software before. And the first reason I declined is because I'm not a builder. It's just not my core competency. I'm a creative, I'm a salesman and building out that is, is what I'm good at. And, and even a CRM is too far away from that, that core competency. But the other thing is just like, until it, until it talks to everything, in many cases, a software is just one more damn thing for, for staffs and, and, uh, and people very often aren't even using the same EMR for scheduling as they are for billing, as they are for the actual medical records. And, uh, and then much more like, yeah, yeah, there, there's some people that use HubSpot and, and Salesforce. I've never seen somebody like really use it, like really, really at best. I've seen a sort of rudimentary use of, of CRMs. And that's true for, yeah, like project management software that I've seen workflow software that I've seen. Uh, clinics use. So wh- how the hell have you been able to be so like, like, how do you actually get people to, to, to roll it out? Cause it, it's obviously being rolled out. You're you, ha- at least half of clinics are using you. Everybody's telling me they like it. And, uh, and you have these surveys from both patients and staff that give you the glowing reviews how do you actually make sure that the rollout gets you to that place? Yeah. Well, no one likes change, right? I think that's people, humans in general don't like change. So that the, it's because it comes at a cost, right? It's because there's uh, Eduardo Harriton, Dr. Harriton sent me a book. Oh, and the name's escaping me. So I'll put it in the, in the show notes, but he was a Harvard professor and, uh, and, and he talked about, um, this very dynamic of like of why companies especially don't change because the cost to to change can be so disruptive to what it is that they're working on that very often when there is a disruptor in the marketplace, it is the new company because they don't have the current obligations that the established companies have to service. So it, it's hard to implement change. Yeah. And I think it goes back to having a, a big enough pin. The problem has got to be big enough and we have to understand it well enough. So um, the that needs analysis that we start with, that turns into a workflow analysis and really understanding the problems that we are trying to solve together that are big enough to introduce this change. That's where it all begins. So we are, while there's best practices that we've learned with the about 200 clinics that we've launched at, each one uses it slightly uniquely to solve their specific problem. So we need to understand, we need to really 
intimately understand those problems so that we can introduce a workflow and associated training for staff that aligns to solve their problems so that they're able to feel those efficiencies. This has been a, 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 an area that I've focused on from day one and Taylor and I have, have really made a priority. The first person we hired was a, was a customer success lead. We want to make sure that people are supported through that onboarding, that implementation, so that they start to feel and see that value. And then on top of that, we going back to being obsessive about data, we create dashboards. We're monitoring every step along the way to make sure that people are being successful. And we provide that data and those dashboards back to our clinic so that they can see which of my staff members are being compliant, which are not being compliant. How are things being received by patients? Where can we tweak and modify the workflows? So um, a really great example that the customer success team shared with me, Seema over at um, SCRC has created a dashboard that we um, provide all the data into. And she actually creates competitions about who can send the most modules and forms and who can follow these workflows the best to really encourage that compliance. So I thought that was a fun way to, to kind of leverage that data to make sure you're creating that optimal outcome. So it starts with really understanding the problems we're trying to solve. It ends with really closely monitoring and supporting our clinics to ensure that that change curve is overcome so that people can really see and feel the value. Talk to me a little bit more about what your customer success leads do. Like how, how do they help people implement? Yeah. So we've got a number of people who are focused on this, um, the, the customer journey, I'll call it the customer buying journey. So starting with our sales team, who's really kind of understanding the problems that we're trying to solve. We have a, a professional services team who's doing all the digitization, helping with the workflow analysis and ensuring that the right training takes place. So really making sure that the, the workflow and the needs that we understand are translated appropriately into solutions within Engaged MD. And then as we launch, our customer success team is there on an ongoing basis to check in, to make sure that things are going successfully, to compare across benchmarks, and to listen to things that change because we all, our, our clinics, our businesses are going to evolve whether it be through legislation or through growth or through whatever it might be. So we're here to listen and to introduce other ways that you can keep on tweaking your workflows, tweaking the platform, growing within it, introducing other modules, customizing your modules, changing your consent workflows, whatever it might be to ensure that ongoing success. What about at the, the financial piece of the journey and the fertility bridge fertility patient marketing journey, it appears in the third column. There's four columns. The third is conversion from appointment to treatment. So they've become, uh, they've, be, they've gone through their first consult. Uh, they have not yet gone on to treatment. There's some drop off there. Finance is one of those pieces. So we we like to make videos about finance. We like to uh, we, we like to create more content ahead of time. We like to insert some of the content that people get before they meet with the financial counselor, so that again, it's not the deer in the headlights thing, uh, and that they just it's not like there's Sally down the hall. Go talk to her now. Like they they have a little bit of familiarity with with Sally they're if not looking forward to, to seeing Sally, that they know who Sally is, what they're going to talk about with her uh, in a way that doesn't try to answer their questions that can't be answered before it's actually one-to-one -one specific to that person. So what do you all do? Do you all, all 
help with that that part of the the journey at all and how yeah we're we're really starting to make great headway just recently in this area of the patient journey and um the way that the majority of our products have been developed is by hearing our customers say yeah we started using engagement d to do this and it was like whoa I hadn't even thought about that. How did we not? How did we not think of that? Let's try and develop more of a a productized um, solution for that issue. So, uh, Shady Grove is a great example of the financial area. Their financial counselor started using our eSign engine to get financial documents squared away. And as we dug in a little bit deeper to that, we started learning about all of the things that people are saying over and over again. Very similar to, I'll use an IVF patient as an example. The way that nurses and providers are explaining the medical process, the financial counselors were explaining the same financial programs, how to navigate your insurance, what to be looking for, what to be thinking about. And so we've just started building modules that help support that financial decision-making, just like the medical decision-making. So this has allowed Shady Grove to help support their financial counselors. They've got a massive financial counseling team to help ensure that patients can make those good financial decisions. And this allows their team to not have to repeat things about their payment programs and their financial programs, instead have a much more impactful, much more efficient discussion with patients about what their options are and how to move forward. So we're starting to... um, you know, as EngageMD continues to grow and to look to other areas, we want to be exploring other places of the patient journey, other places of the clinic journey, and other types of users within the clinic who are looking to save time, looking to improve the patient experience, looking to reduce risk, looking to go paperless. That's how we want to keep on growing is finding ways that we can help support them best and those issues best so that the practices can keep growing and seeing more patients and we can keep growing as a business as well. I think that people often just stop at the financial challenge and think like, well, either patients can afford it or not. It's like, that's, that, that's not as far too simplistic of a conclusion. It's there is a range within there. And sometimes that there, there's no financial option to where a, a patient could feasibly pay for treatment. That's, that's very sad. But there's often, th- there is a range of people that it's like they could if they understood what the options were for them. They're, they're, that's what household budgeting is. It's all a calculus. And the things that win are the things that one seem higher priority, but two that you understand. You understand how you're gonna you're gonna pay for something. And uh, it isn't just simply a question of, well, they can afford it or they can't. Totally, totally. And it's that that kind of plethora of topics that need to be explained. And you've got to, as a a staff member at a clinic, you have to prioritize your time and what's going to help people the most to make decisions. And it's impossible to cover everything as, um, you know, a consumer of healthcare as I think all humans will be at some point. Navigating insurance is super hard. It's really complicated. And I work in healthcare and like I understand the space very well. And it is so complex to navigate insurance. It is so complex to navigate out taking out loans to look through these different types of like shared risk type programs. Um, there's a lot to comprehend there. So we're trying to start hacking away at that. Everything down to what is a deductible and what does that mean and what is a copay through loan terms and how do you actually navigate these different financial programs that many clinics offer. 
I want to ask you about the future of Engaged MD, but I want you to give me something that I can like talk crap on you with because yeah, it's a sponsored episode and you guys pay me, but you don't pay me well enough that I wouldn't bring <laughs> that I wouldn't jab you with a thorn if I had it. Like I one, I just kind of love doing that. Like I do it with every guest. I try to, uh, but I also I I hate it when uh, I watch the news and I feel like they're trying to get somebody to a, a specific conclusion. I like just, I just, I like playing with each side of an argument. And I just don't have anything for the argument against you. Like I don't have anything. I, I appreciate I, that, but we are we are, we are not perfect, and we are trying to become more and more perfect every day. Our team is growing, our processes are growing, our product is growing. It's evolving because you have to keep on evolving and. We do run into issues as any technology, as any business does. And we're really just trying to be the best that we can. And our, our ultimate mission is to, to make life easier for everybody so that we can improve patient access to care. And so we're trying to center on that. And we're trying to be really thoughtful about the solutions that we bring to market and the way that we support our customers. As with any company, there's growing pains that come along with that, but we're working really hard to, to add value to the industry, to really be a positive light as an industry player who can help support clinicians, staff members, embryologists, patients, their partners, really all of the, the players that take part in uh, an episode of care. Well, tell me a little bit about like some of those things, like give me, give me some of the earnest struggle that you're facing. One of ours has been uh, in that like that third phase of the patient journey, because we're never going to be pure operations consultant. That, that's not us. But you get to a point where sales and marketing can say, "Well, it's out of our hands now. It's in it's in ops hands." And to me, that's just always seemed like a dereliction of responsibility. Like uh, at the end of the day, someone is hiring a marketer because they want more revenue. They they're not high. There are some other things that that they hire that person for, but the marketer needs to be able to set up the sale, and it, and you also should be able to set up a sale that is delighted. And so I, I've had it, there's been challenges with my team, and have even made some personnel changes in the last year because we couldn't get on the same page of of what that is, but. An example is, you know, we're talking about reputation management. Like we we help with reputation management, like the online reviews, and uh, and we know how to get people more positive reviews at, to a point. And then uh, we might reach a point where it, it's like, okay, they're still getting these types of complaints. And uh, and what I want to be able to do is give people clients the procedure of this is exactly what's broken. This is how you fix it. This is exactly how you implement this into your EMR. I don't want to just give people something that could have been written in a blog post. And uh, because I agree with Rita Gruber when she says marketing throws the ball, it's the practice's job to catch it. But the practice doesn't care if you're Tom Brady and you throw the perfect spiral if they can't catch it. I want to make the ball land into their hands. That's the idea. And so, uh, and that takes a ton of work and it takes discipline. And you have to be able to say, like, we don't, we don't totally have this yet. Uh, because every marketer just wants to say they're the they're the cat's pajamas, and the only reason why 
other people suck is because they're not as good as it. No, it's it. It is connecting all of these dots. That's what it is. You're supposed to connect all of the dots. And, and so that's what, you know, that's fertility bridges are in a struggle. What's engaged MDs. Yeah. You know, um, I kind of go back to all the ways that people have stretched the platform in ways that we didn't fully expect. And it's great. They've created these workarounds. And sometimes there's things that people want to stretch the platform and do things that intuitively make sense in the vein of education and documentation and patient journey management that when they, even when they explain to me, it's like, oh, yeah, I wish we could do that today. But we, you know, we're building out a platform that needs to be scalable. It needs to be secure. It needs to be well-managed. It can't break down. So we, we're just constantly trying to build out things in a very thoughtful way to meet these kind of workaround methods and, and workflows that people have put together on our platform. And I wish we could do it as fast as possible because it what it ultimately creates is people might run into a bug or they might run into an issue where they can't complete the workflow. And that's not the experience that we want people to have. So, and our support team has to help people through that, come up with other workarounds. So we're, we're constantly trying to build the platform out again in that scalable, secure way so that your data is safe, your patients are safe, you're safe. Um, and we're, we're working really hard on that. We've got, um, I'll give a little bit of teaser to the next generation of EngagedMD that we're getting ready to launch that will help ensure that scalability and more flexibility so that all of those crazy use cases that our, our customers come up with will be able to better support them and continue to build upon it a faster clip um, to, to help make sure that we're supporting people even better. So um, it, it's not perfect. I think we're, we're doing a really good job of creating as many workarounds as possible and supporting people, but that would that would be the area that kind of keeps me hungry and keeps me, you know, Taylor and me working really hard at growing the team and growing our resources so that we can support more of these things that really should feel, fall within our wheelhouse of education, documentation, patient journey management. Um, we want to keep on growing the functionality so that there's nothing, and this will never be the case, of course, but we want it to be as close as nothing that we can't help solve for. That's the, it's the challenge of the business owner, right? You're you're steering the ship and it's it's either the iceberg that you want to avoid or the part of the water that you want to turn towards. You can see it. Like you can see it's like, can you turn fast enough? That is the the challenge of a business owner. Uh when I when when Mark Andreessen says that software is going to eat the world, one, I believe him too. I think he's talking about engaged MD yeah, <laughs> as as you're as you're just as as you're competently absorbing each of these spheres as you expand. So uh, let's conclude with what do you, uh, uh, what, what can you tell us about your, about your, your roadmap where, where as, as specific as you feel comfortable going on public record, what can you share with the audience? Yeah. So I mentioned we have a new version of our platform coming out. That's going to, um, continue to expand upon the ways that we help support patients through their ultimate journey. So while some aspects of our platform right now are very much like, here's where you are, here's what you get. We're trying to create a more cohesive patient journey that's easier to manage from soup to nuts to create a very consistent, comprehensive experience for all of the different patient journeys that you can have and then track and manage. We're also to that point, expanding into other areas of the patient journey. So like the financial counseling 
journey, I'll call it. We want to keep on building out products, content, things that can help support patients through all of those different stages that we don't currently do right now. Um, and then the last thing is just introducing more industry partners and working with more industry partners that can benefit from having this interaction with both patients and clinics to um, help you know, support through things like the medication management processes or the genetic testing processes or whatever it might be. We want to make sure that we're plugging everybody together to create, again, a great patient journey. So software, content, the people to help support it. That's where we're growing so that we can keep on helping more and more people access that amazing care. Jeff Isner, it has been a pleasure having you on. We're going to link to MD obviously in the, the show notes and, and tag you in social, but people can actually go to engagedmd.com slash Griffin. They can get a workflow assessment where EngageMD looks at a lot of the things that Jeff talked about today. So if you want to see how your clinic stacks up, uh, they will look at that for you and they'll do it for free. If you go to engagedmd.com slash Griffin, uh, first sponsor, I ever had because of how many people have just been blown away by your company. And I, I know that my own company doesn't have, isn't at that same echelon. I can, I can say that. And so uh, I admire that you've been able to do that because I'm really, really trying and I know how hard it is. So uh, thanks for, for sharing that on the show. I really appreciate the kind words, um, appreciate your support and um, really excited to, to continue growing with you and growing with the industry. And so thanks again for having me. Can't wait for the next one. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.